but here's the thing that I want to talk to you about. I had another message in, in mind this week. And as I prayed through this week, there was this theme because Ascension Day is critically linked to Pentecost. Now, we typically don't talk about those. We, we celebrate Christmas and Easter, mostly. But Ascension Day is the 40 days after the resurrection where Jesus goes up into heaven. We've studied that somewhat over the past, um, but um, there is some picture that I think we're supposed to capture. It was actually last Thursday, uh, May 21st, that was the 40 days. And so 10 days after that is what's called Pentecost. Penti coming from the word 50. 50 days after Jesus ascends to heaven is when we have this outpouring, this, this, this kind of gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And I thought this was super critical for us to talk about because this is maybe some of the best news at all. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about some more good news. We don't talk about the good news of the Holy Spirit enough. Because our life on earth was to be occupied by Jesus, not by Jesus's physical presence, but the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. And the ascension of Jesus to heaven shows us this. The cost of growth is this. Every time you gain something, you also lose something. Now this feels really un-American. I tried to introduce this idea when I wrote to you in an email this week. The cost of growth is this. Every time you gain something, you also lose something. So to grow in a relationship with Jesus always requires loss or letting go. There always is a surrender or a confession. We just can't add Jesus when we're scared or need something or help us get what we want. In this case, the disciples let go of Jesus so that they could, by faith, make room for the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus explained that after he ascended to heaven, he would send them, he used this word, another counselor, the Holy Spirit who would remain, uh, who would no longer remain in the temple, but would now live within each of them. So the temple was separated into five courts. You had the court of Gentiles, the court of women, the court of men, the court of the priests, and then the inner sanctuary called the Holy of Holies. And no longer would the Holy Spirit of God be limited to just that one high priest one time a year. He said, I'm not going to reside in a geographic location. I'm going to reside in your life, in your heart. You, your life, when you say yes to Jesus, becomes the temple. In fact, the word counselor is so brilliant. In the Greek, it means paraclete. Break that word down. It's, it's critical to understand. Para, where we get the word like parallel or paramedic, it means to come alongside in close proximity. Cleat, if you've ever done any boating, is that thing you do on a dock that secures the boat from drifting away. You tie up to a cleat. He said he would send another counselor, a paraclete, 
the Holy Spirit. So when we invite Jesus to be king of our life, we receive the Holy Spirit. That means that we're citizens of heaven, but live on earth. Now, for a people whose history, Jewish people whose history and culture revolved around the temple and the worship of God was at that space, this was radical change. I mean, it's as radical as not being able to meet for worship and gathering online. This does not feel normal for us who've grown up in and around church. But because God's presence wasn't going to be limited anymore to a specific place. In fact, given the Holy Spirit, he described that all of his children as the new temple. So I hope this makes you want to know the Holy Spirit better. Do you know right now, the Holy Spirit is alive and well in Leander, in Cedar Park, and in North Austin, just like in South Austin on Manshack and Slaughter. The Holy Spirit is alive in Lakeway and East Riverside and even in Westlake. In Westlake. Come on now. Jesus' ascension to heaven is one of the most important events ever recorded in the New Testament, but we hardly talk about it. It occupies such a vital place in scripture, but it doesn't get any attention. My guess is that you've probably never read any books on the ascension and probably never even heard any messages on the ascension of Jesus. You've heard it referenced. We read past it after we talk about resurrection or maybe we talk about Pentecost. Usually we focus on one of the two, but the ascension is pivotal, especially in Luke's writings. I hope you have your Bibles. I want to look at a couple of passages today from Luke's writings. Luke wrote a two-part history of the origins of Christianity. Volume one of Dr. Luke, he was a medical doctor. He recorded the eyewitness accounts by the book that bears his name, the gospel according to Luke. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the last page of Luke, uh, which I don't have a page number for it, but it's, um, it's Luke 24. And I want to read a passage out of that. Well, volume two is the book of Acts. Did you know that Luke, Dr. Luke, also wrote the book of Acts? Two volumes about the origin of Christianity. And he begins volume two by reporting again what he had seen. And then he refers back to it several times through the book of Acts. An eyewitness is trying to teach us of the origins of Christianity, how it hived off in a different direction from Judaism, and how it became this new movement that would bring salvation to everyone even though its leader just left the building. This is really important how Luke ends and then Luke begins his next. Now, in between the two is the Gospel of John. But let me read for you how Luke finishes volume one in Luke 24. He says, when they had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, this is where we saw in the little kids video, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then, this is really weird to me, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Okay, 
if the leader of my movement just left, I would feel a great deal of responsibility. I would not be feeling joy. I would feel a little nervous but they had joy. So they're a better disciple than me at this point and at this point for you too. But in about 20 minutes, you're going to realize I'm a better disciple. Watch this. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. What got into them? Why were they so excited that Jesus had just left? That's a super good question for all the Mission Hills theologians. I'm glad you already asked that. Turn with me to the beginning of volume two of Luke's writing, Acts chapter one. This is what he said. Acts chapter one, he says, in my former book, volume one, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles and chosen ones. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs. And then he goes on to say, do not leave Jerusalem and wait for the gift of my my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. I think most of us have been baptized in water. That was a baptism of repentance. Um, but uh, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait, a second baptism that doesn't involve water. What does that even mean? Except that they're excited about it and they're waiting with anticipation. Like Christmas morning and their little kids. So that when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to go uh, restore the kingdom? And he says, it is not the time for you to know the dates and times for the father has set his own authority, but you will receive the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the world. And after this, he was taken up before his very eyes, and that cloud hid them from his sight. And they were all looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly, I love this, two men dressed in white stood there and says, what are you doing? What are you all looking for? And that's my human interpretation of what these angels said. And he says, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same uh will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven so we have this vivid picture of jesus ascending and it produced joy because the disciples understood the amazing benefits that would come to them when jesus returned to the father when jesus ascended all the promises regarding the spirit's ministry healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons from everything that binds, a sense of justice, an overflowing sense of irrational generosity, a kind of relentless hospitality. They had seen the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. They were convinced of who he was. They went, they knew that he died to forgive them of their sins. They knew he was alive from the dead. And in his resurrection, they had the victory, uh, the hope of victory over death. So they trusted him. And for these reasons, Jesus's departure gave the disciples joy. And the benefits, I think I'll just summarize them in four ways. The benefits of the ascension. And this is really good news. I would even go so far as 
it's critical and often missing news in how we experience Christ. So listen, when Jesus ascended and sat down at the right hand of his father, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it confirmed that the final payment of all of my sin had been made. Do you know what that means? It means that I get to lead my life, no matter how many times I stumble and fall, I get to lead my life from a foundational place of love and acceptance, value and worth. See, this world will tell me I'm only as good as my wealth, my intelligence, my beauty, and any kind of successes I have. And in Christ, I'm none of those things. I'm foundationally loved, valuable, and accepted. If you have never experienced that, that is part of what happens at Ascension because the Holy Spirit comes in us and makes us this new kind of creation, a righteousness found only in Christ Jesus. When, secondly, when Jesus ascended, all God's people are now guaranteed that we will ha always have access to the Father in heaven forever. Even though your prayers feel like they hit the ceiling and don't go up to heaven, even though we feel like we go through spiritually dry times, it says nothing, nowhere can separate us from the love of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, when Jesus ascended, his eternal, not finite, eternal reign over all of the enemies began. You know the enemies aren't just flesh and blood, but there's power and dark forces and principalities at work against us, not just viruses. Listen to what Peter wrote. Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at the right hand with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. This is why, and I talked about this last week, we can pray in Jesus' name, because it represents a kind of authority that I don't have. I can say, in the authority of Dave's name, in the authority of my American citizenship, it doesn't matter. It's the authority that comes to us in the name of Jesus. Now, fourthly, and finally, when Jesus ascended, the church, that's us, that's the community of Mission Hills, was empowered to accomplish its mission. See, I like when people have said it this way. Um, it's not that the church has a mission, it's that the mission of God has a church. And in Ephesians 1, writing about Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Paul said, God the Father put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So what is the mission of God? Friends, you've heard me say, disciples, not converts, not just church attenders, not just being believers. You can be a believer and not be transformed disciples. The end game of the church is always disciples. And in the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, she says, go into all the world and 
make disciples, which is the one thing I would say that offers the most purpose, the most meaning, the most substance, and even the most joy when we slowly, and it takes a lifetime, acquire God's heart for the world. It can radically change our perspective because it changes our hearts from the inside out. I do not want you to attend Mission Hills Church and refer to yourself as, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I'm a Christian. I want you to think of yourself as a disciple, one who is following after the heart of God. Now, friends, I found a video this week, and I'm going to encourage you to turn up your volume because this guy has a powerful testimony of God's transforming work. And I want you to hear it. He is an Iranian pastor, and it comes from a ministry out of Iran. And I want you to hear his testimony. It's pure and simple gratitude. One of our rhythms where we learn to have a posture of thankfulness. But this Iranian pastor has a story that is so foreign from my own, but more than being a pastor, he is a disciple. You have to hear his words. Um, please turn it up so you don't miss um, his powerful testimony. Listen to how he describes his experience uh, becoming a Christian. My dear brothers and sisters, my name is Farshid Fatih and I was born in Iran in a Muslim family right after the Islamic Revolution. By, by the grace of God, in 1996, I got saved through the blood of Jesus. And since that day, I started to serve Him as my Lord and my Savior. And I remember when in 2005, I started underground church in Iran. In five years, we grown up to 48 churches in all over the country. But unfortunately, in December 2010, they arrested me and all the leaders in Iran, and they kept me five years in prison and one year in solitary confinement and locked up room. And when I'm thinking about these days, because we are all in isolation and compare these days with the time I had in prison, just I wanted to tell you, I have a lot to be thankful for because I remember my cell was a very small cell and I just was able to walk three and a half steps for going and coming. But now in my apartment today, I can walk 15 steps and I'm very much thankful that for that. I remember I was telling myself, if I only had my Bible, if I only had a pen or paper to write down some things, because I had nothing but three blankets. So, but today we have our Bible, we have his precious word, which is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. And we can read it and enjoy it. And not only this, we, can, we have many things to be thankful. I remember during my time in solitary confinement, I haven't seen myself in the mirror for 361 days. But today, the situation is totally different. I remember I had no news from my loved ones, especially from my children. But today, if I'm miss them i can call them i can facetime them and see their beautiful faces and ask them how are you so just i want to encourage you these days of isolation i believe is a time of thankfulness for for his goodness for what we have in our life not only that i remember when i was in solitary i discovered many things about myself about my character about his love 
I realized more than ever before when I was alone with him in solitary, I realized it's all about him. And it's, it was like a discovery. And in these days also, I believe it's a time of discovery when we are at home. And just I wanted to encourage you, maybe God in these days is going to shift our eyes from the things we can see to the unseen things, because what is unseen is going to be eternal. God bless you all. And it was a joy and privilege for me to share these few words with you. Hope to see you one day. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm going to say this again. I've, I've, I've said this already. But the cost of growth is this. Every time you gain something, you also lose something. Our culture has taught us that we can have it all. But we really can only grow by being pruned. We can only grow when we're letting go. And in some cases, that involves grieving the loss. Jesus left so that through his spirit, we would be his witnesses, agents of healing, compassion, help. And Mission Hills has always been about a decentralized model. We're trying to raise up a priesthood of believers, not a group of church attenders, but it's predicated on each person owning their faith, taking responsibility to pray, to learn, to seek, to care for, to host, to reach out, to surrender without pastoral persuasion and reminder. In order to grow our faith, form a relationship with Christ, we have to lose our dependency for someone else to feed us, for someone else to provide for us. Every Christian is told to proclaim the good news, but every week we go and listen to someone else proclaim the good news. This is how we're doing church, but this wasn't the way church was intended. It was supposed to be a sending out, not a coming together. Now the coming together is really valuable too, but we've made it the end game. I heard a phrase this week, I was listening to a fellow pastor, and it was so convicting. Mark Sayers, again, I've referenced him in the past, he used a phrase of, during this quarantine, we're exposing all of the helicopter pastors. I was like, oh, am I a helicopter pastor? Because I always used to think, am I a helicopter parent? I never wanted to be the helicopter parent. But now I'm like, am I the helicopter pastor? But quarantine has forced all of us to be the church right where we live. Pastor Dave can't hover over all our programs. I can't hover all over all our corporate gatherings. In fact, I'm keenly aware, and I'm okay with this, that if I'm out of sight, I might also be out of mind, which is fine. You don't have to think about me. But if I'm your spiritual reminder, if I'm your spiritual cheerleader, if I'm your spiritual hookup or your only conduit to God, then I worry that quarantine compromises your spiritual intimacy and vitality. And maybe the best thing of all, maybe that's the best thing of all that we can really discover. Because what's most needed is for a nation of priests, a priesthood of all believers, to proclaim the good news, simply saying, here's the difference, Christ 
makes and the hope that you have. Pray for those words. Pray for those opportunities, and I promise you, you will find them. See, to follow Christ for the renewing of our mind and the reshaping of hearts, we need the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit helps us live the life we're called to live that we simply can't live on our own. It requires both invitation and surrender, which feels weird. Am I asking? Am I letting go? Yep, both. Listen to how the early church received both salvation and the Holy Spirit. There's two passages, and then I'm, I'm going to pray with you. But in Acts 8, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaria had accepted the word of the Lord, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, these people were like their enemies historically. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that were there to, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, wait. They're Christians, but they were supposed to also receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, because when we invite Christ in life, we get the, what's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's a moment of salvation that welcomes the Holy Spirit. But what we also find is the infilling, a second kind of growth of the Holy Spirit within us. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wait, so like I get saved, I baptize. Isn't that enough? Peter and John then placed their hands on them and they all then received the Holy Spirit. Later in Acts 19, Paul is making his rounds on his missionary journey. And while Apollos was in Corinth, a city in which he had already planted churches, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. This is the book of Ephesians. There, he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Wait, wait, wait. You mean we can be believers and not have the infilling of the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul is saying. They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. What? They replied, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It's where y'all got wet. He told them to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues, and they prophesied. In other places in Acts, it says they spoke the word of God boldly, or they, they spoke in a word of knowledge, or they, they began to praise God. There was this utterance of joy. See, the cost of growth is this. Every time you gain something, you also lose something. We can't simply have it all. And this is the invitation we have, is, is to let go and invite. And if you've never prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, it, I would like to just close with a time of prayer. And if, and if you long to operate with a greater awareness of the presence of God, and by that I mean, a greater capacity to love, greater power for obedience, a greater boldness in your witness, then I'd like you to consider, for those of you who already have said yes to the good news, pray for this infilling work, the, the, the continuing work of God's Spirit to become ever-increasingly transformational. The one thing it requires is letting go sometimes of certainty, sometimes of control, but trusting God to provide 
the words, the confidence, the courage, trusting God by faith. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I'm aware that just believing in you was enough to walk into your kingdom and be in intimate relationship with you. But you have invited us to be citizens of heaven on earth. And the greatest resource you left behind that you could only do when you ascended was the ministry of your Holy Spirit. So I pray for me, and I pray this for my friends, the infilling the deeper work, the sanctifying work, the baptizing work of your Holy Spirit. I recognize that most of my friends listening today have already been dunked at one point, and I thank you for that turning in their life, that that public declaration. But if you've ever wanted to have this growing awareness, I would simply invite you to pray it this way. Lord Jesus, I invite your Holy Spirit to have a greater awareness of your presence in my life. I welcome a greater power for obedience. I need a greater capacity for love. I invite uh, a greater boldness in my own witness. Will you fill my life in ever-increasing ways that the fruit of my lips might be a testimony of who you are. Have your will and have your reign in me through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And now reveal to me the areas of my life that need pruning, surrender, confession. Father, I pray that you would unleash on us the power of your Holy Spirit to live the life that you've called us to live that we simply just can't live on our own. We want transformation from the inside out. We don't want this to be simply behavior modifications, but I pray that you would create a movement in us and through us. We pray this in the name of the risen Christ and the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the death. We pray with all authority and power in the name of Jesus. Amen.